Well, good morning. <clears throat> well, thank you, uh, Pastor Jonah. Appreciate that. Uh, did I make a mistake already? <laughs> you are one of the pastor elders at here, correct? Pastor of something? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, no, yes, good morning. Uh, thank you for the extended invitation. Um, you uh, have been very loving and kind and welcoming. Um, so glad to be here. Thank you for this opportunity to share God's word with you. It's a blessing. It's a privilege to be present with you uh, this morning. And I'm grateful to the Lord for, uh, as I mentioned, the other brothers, pastors, elders here at Christ Community Church for giving me this opportunity to be blessed by you and hopefully uh, for you to be blessed through the preaching of God's word. Now, I will say that if you did see my dear brother Scott O'Neill here this morning and you're now discovering that he's not the one preaching, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, and as someone also already discovered, um, I, am, I live in Bartonville, but I'm not a native to the Peoria area. I grew up in the St. Louis area on the Illinois side, so... As this person discovered, yes, I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan. So again, if I'm disappointing you in that regard, I guess I'm 0 for 2 uh, this morning. But like I liked, uh, what I like to say to my brothers and sisters who root for the Chicago Cubs, love covers a multitude of sins, right? So it works both ways, from both sides of the aisle. So, But uh, I want to do my best to kind of manage my time well this morning, so I'm just going to uh, jump right in. Uh, we're going to be in the letter of 1 John chapter 1, um, verses 5 through 10. <clears throat> in 1984, a movie starring Robert Redford, Glenn Close, and Robert Duvall, and Kim Basinger was released to the public. An instant American classic, in my opinion. The main character, played by Redford, is named Roy Hobbs, and the name of the movie is called The Natural. Hobbs, who learns the game of baseball from his father, is a bright, young, very talented left-handed pitcher. And at the young age of 19, he's off to try out for the infamous Chicago Cubs. Before trying out for the team, Hobbs encounters an unexpected tragedy. He suffers a gunshot wound in the abdomen by a mysterious woman that he meets on the train to Chicago. As you can probably imagine, his baseball career was sidetracked. 16 years later, at the ripe age of 35, Hobbs makes his way to the big leagues by earning a spot as an outfielder for the shameful New York Knights. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know that Hobbs, as an adolescent, he makes a wooden bat from an oak tree that was struck by lightning on his parents' farm. On the barrel of the bat, he car carves a lightning bolt and the word Wonder Boy. Hobbs, as a middle-aged rookie, he's a hitting sensation. Whatever he desires to hit, he hits singles, doubles, triples, towering home runs. As a result, the New York Knights go on a tremendous winning streak, climbing themselves out of last place in the division to first place. However, during this unexpected rise to first place, Hobbs suffers a terrible slump. He completely loses his swing and he fails to make 
any sort of contact with the baseball whatsoever. During his slump, Hobbs, if you're familiar with the movie, he's romantically involved with a woman played by Kim Basinger who consistently and habitually dresses in black. The movie suggests that the woman dressed in black emits or radiates some sort of negativity or bad karma. So much so that it affects Hobbs' ability to hit home runs or any type of base hit for that matter. And in the movie, there's a pivotal point that takes place during a particular game against the Cubs at the legendary Wrigley Field. A woman, played by Glenn Close, she's dressed in white. She's sitting in the stands about a dozen rows up from the third baseline. And while Hobbs is in the batter's box, she stands up. And in this particular scene, he steps out of the batter's, batter's box, and he attempts to regain his focus. He notices the woman dressed in white standing up in the stands. And in that moment, it's as if Hobbes supernaturally regains his strength, his determination, and his focus. For on the next pitch, he connects and drives the baseball so perfectly that it smashes into the stadium clock located on the stadium scoreboard in deep center field. So why use this illustration for our time together? Perhaps you are thinking, what's the point? Well, if you're a single young man out there, maybe you should not date a single young lady who consistently and habitually dresses in black. No, that's not the point. That may be uh, wise counsel, but no, that's not the point. The point is simply the director's use of colors throughout the movie, specifically white and black. The woman dressed in black is symbolic for that which is negative or unrighteous or impure or deceptive. And the woman dressed in white is symbolic for that which is positive or righteous or pure or that which is true. Very much like a young lady dressed on their wedding day. And in our text this morning, we see a similar use of symbolism by the Apostle John. He uses light and darkness to instruct us about who God is and how we should live or walk in consideration of who he is. So our main idea from our text this morning is this, which I think you have in your bulletin. If believers claim to have fellowship with God, then we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And we're going to see four truths in our text this morning. Number one, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Number two, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must walk in the light as God is in the light. Number three, believers must recognize their own sin struggles and then seek to confess their sins to God. Number four, if a believer claims to not have engaged in the practice of sin, then the truth of God does not reside in him or her. So if you have not done so already, please turn to 1 John chapter 1. And if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. You may follow along as I read verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes... That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You may be seated. That is the reading of God's word this morning. May it be a blessing and a joy to your hearts. Please join me in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning that you have given us, this cold, brisk morning, Lord God. Lord, let us be reminded of your abundant grace and mercy, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness. You are faithful to your word. You are faithful to your promises. Lord, as it was communicated already this morning in the participation, the partaking of the Lord's table, let us be reminded of the hope and the joy that we have in the gospel, the sending of your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In him, we have forgiveness of our sins. We have been redeemed, Lord God, through the blood and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, hide me behind the cross this morning. Help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to exercise our faith, to put our hope, our trust, our confidence, not in the things of this world, not in the things of men, but in the things of Christ. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In our first four verses of this chapter, we see that John and the other eyewitnesses testify to the glorious reality of the eternal Son of God stepping down from his heavenly throne by taking on human flesh in the incarnation. The word of life, that, was, that which was with the Father from the pre-dawn of time, has been revealed or manifested to John and the other apostles in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also observe in the beginning verses of chapter 1 that John and the apostles invite their audience to have fellowship with them, as they too have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. In other words, if you receive our teaching, that's apostolic teaching, then you are in fact receiving and accepting the teaching of Christ. And if you receive the teaching of Christ, then you have a fellowship with God the Father. In a very similar fashion, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. It's a package deal type of thing. If you receive the teaching of John and the other apostles, then you receive the word of life. And if you receive God the Son, then you also receive God the Father. In verse 5 of our text this morning, John informs his audience of the message, the teaching, that him and the other apostles have heard or received from the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this message that Jesus taught to his followers and the message that John is now proclaiming to us and his audience is that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So what does it mean when John, John writes, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all? Well, to say that God is light is to say that God is pure. God is true. God is holy. God is righteous. God is morally perfect. Psalm 119, verse 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Isaiah 57, verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Daniel writes in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, that the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. There's that use of color. The symbolic ind indication of the white clo clothing indicates that God is unstained from that which is evil, impure, or unrighteous. The use of the color white emphasizes the truth that God is pure. God is holy. He is morally perfect, unstained from any sort of corruption, sin, or evil. And this truth claim that God is light, it's absolute. It is certain. It is true and solid and trustworthy in every place, in every time, and in every culture. And since God is light, no darkness resides in him. For evil, sin, wickedness, deceit, falsehoods, unrighteousness have no residency in the divine essence of God. In the opening chapters of John's Gospel, we see additional examples of this light-darkness distinction. In John chapter 1, verse 5, John writes, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 3, verse 19, God says, This is the judgment. The light, the Lord Jesus, has come into the world, and people loved the darkness, sin, unrighteousness, impurity, rather than the light, because their works were evil. And of course, we are familiar with John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus states, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So not only does the statement, God is light, indicate the character and nature of God, it also takes on a sense of that which has been revealed which certainly makes sense in view of the first four verses of chapter 1. The word of life, that which was with the Father from the beginning, he, the eternal Son of God, revealed, manifested in human flesh in order to be the Savior of sinful mankind. One commentary states that light provides illumination in dark places and is an appropriate symbol for the way in which God reveals himself to men to show them how to live. 
The author of Hebrews writes, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the divine radiance, the luminosity, or the intrinsic brightness of the glory of God revealed to his people. The true light being revealed to a dark, broken, sinful world. The simple truth that God is light and the revealing nature of God in the flesh is foundational for John's ethical and moral exhortations, not only in the following verses, but also throughout the remainder of this letter. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So let's pick up the text again in verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So this leads us to our second truth this morning. Professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must walk in the light as God is in the light. And this echoes our main idea, which again is that if believers claim to have fellowship with God, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. In verse 6, John is simply stating that if a person claims to have fellowship with God and yet lives a life that is characterized by the consistent and habitual practice of sin, lawlessness, deceit, impurity, and and unrighteousness, then that individual does not have fellowship with God. John says essentially that this individual is a liar. To verbally claim or profess that you have an association or fellowship with God the Father while at the same time your conduct or character or morality reveals that you practice sin, disobedience, and wickedness, well, that is a lie, John says. The two are inconsistent with one another. It's a complete contradiction. If a person claims to have fellowship with God and yet his or her actions and behavior communicate something entirely different, we would conclude that this particular individual is what we call a hypocrite. And if you look look up hypocrisy in the dictionary, this is what you're going to find. The practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. And what is the moral standard or belief that John is communicating to his audience? The moral standard is that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God says in chapter 3 of this letter that anyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. This person has no regard for the authority of God. He goes on to say in verse 8 of chapter 3 that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And John makes it very clear to his audience that whoever practices righteousness and obedience, they are children of God. And whoever does not practice Righteousness is not of God, but rather they are children of the devil. Jesus states in Matthew 7 that you will recognize false teachers by their fruits. Similarly, you will recognize believers by their fruit. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus also states In John chapter 15, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
If your profession of faith is not consistent with your lifestyle, your choices, your actions, your speech, your conduct, then John says, we are liars. Our morality or our external conduct must be consistent with our claim or our profession. For what sort of association or fellowship can you claim to have with God if you live in darkness? What sort of fellowship is there between sin and righteousness? The answer is none. There is no fellowship with God if a person walks or lives in habitual and consistent darkness. For God is pure, God is holy, God is righteous. Jesus states in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, whoever follows after the Lord Jesus Christ will walk or live in the true light, the light of the world. So we must live, we must seek to live in righteousness, purity, godliness, and holiness. Our character and our morality must be consistent with the character and morality of God. Professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must seek to walk in the light as God is in the light. John also states at the end of verse 6 that the person who claims to have fellowship with God while living in darkness is not only one who lies, but also one who does not practice the truth. What truth is John referring to? Well, it's the truth. It is the truth, the truth that which was from the beginning and that which has been revealed or manifested to the apostles in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus again says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So to practice the truth is to walk or live in the light. To walk or live in the light is to practice the truth. John writes in chapter 2 of this letter, if anyone claims to abide in Jesus Christ, then he or she must walk or live in the same way in which he lived or walked. If we are walking in darkness, we do not practice the truth. We are, in fact, practicing lawlessness. An individual cannot walk or live in darkness and at the same time practice the truth. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. In verse 7, we see two results or consequences for walking in the light. First, we have fellowship with one another. Now, you would think that John would say here that if we're walking in the light, then we would have fellowship with God in consideration of what was stated in verse 6. And this is most certainly true for the professing born-again believer who practices righteousness. Indeed, they have fellowship or commonality with God. But John is likely addressing some falsehoods or false teachers in and through these verses. It seems likely that some individuals, false teachers, were claiming that you could walk in darkness and as a result maintain fellowship not only with God, but also with those within the church. John is saying, look, if you walk in darkness consistently and habitually, you cannot have fellowship with God. And you cannot have fellowship or an association with other genuine believers within the church. For what sort of shared commonality does walking in the light and walking in the darkness have? None. There is no shared commonness whatsoever. What sort of commonality or fellowship can you have between a person who practices habitual sin with a person who practices righteousness and purity? Nothing. There is no shared goal or shared purpose. 
This is why we hear the command from Paul to say, do not be unequally yoked. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ need to marry other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers walk in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. We have a shared goal, a shared mission, to be the salt and light of the world, to proclaim and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a commonality in that we're striving to practice holiness, righteousness, purity, as we wait for the glorious return of the bridegroom. Revelation 21, he rides a white horse. He's called the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses and on his robe and on his thigh, a name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. As believers, we must seek to walk in the light as God is in the light. The second result of walking in the light is that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to remember that at the moment of our conversion, the moment in which we turned from our sin and placed our faith and trust in the person and work of Christ, we were justified. And justification simply means that we are now declared righteous. We are declared righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. God views us now, after our conversion, as if we have never sinned and, is, and as if we have perfectly obeyed. We also need to be reminded that all our past, present, future sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians, Paul writes, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Colossians, Paul writes, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let us be encouraged with that glorious truth that we have a forgiving God and we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. At our conversion, there is a removal of our sins a cancellation of all our sins. But we still live with the presence of sin in our lives. In other words, we have been rescued from the power and penalty of sin, but we still deal with the presence of sin. We struggle against the presence of sin in our lives. And so John, he's, I think, directing our attention here to the, to the idea of progressive sanctification. And this simply means that we are in the process of becoming more and more like Christ. And God uses all difficulties, all trials, all circumstances to teach us how to rely not on ourselves, but to rely on him. And he is working to conform us into the image of Christ. So I think John's saying here, if we continue to practice consistently, habitually, obedience, not perfectly, of course, right? but if we continue to walk or live in righteousness, obeying the commands of God, then the blood of Christ cleanses us, he purifies us from all sin, sanctifying us, setting, up, setting us apart as children of light. 
This is not some sort of works-based salvation that John is referring to. He's simply speaking to the reality of the believer's walk with the Lord in a fallen, broken, sinful world. We deal with the presence of sin because we have not yet been fully glorified. If you think about your believer's baptism, Paul says in Romans 6 that we died with Christ in our baptism in order that we too would walk in a newness of life. He goes on to write that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. We have, been, we have been set free from sin, so we must also consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As we seek to put to death sinful deeds of the body, and as we are striving and working toward holiness, righteousness, and purity in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we fellowship with one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. And this is a reality, whether you are a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or whether you've been walking with the Lord for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And our work and striving for godliness, holiness, it's a cooperative effort between the believer and the indwelling spirit of God. A dependent responsibility, as Jerry Bridges says in many of his books, as we seek to put to death the sinful motives and deeds of the flesh. So if believers claim to have fellowship with God, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This leads us to truth number three. Believers must recognize their own sin struggles and then seek to confess their sins to God. In verse 8, John again seems to be addressing certain individuals who are claiming that they are without sin. And I, and I think even perhaps these individuals are claiming that they are without, without a sin nature. But the Bible states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The Bible teaches us that we are sinners by nature and by choice. And if you claim to be without sin, then you are deceived. If you claim to be without a sin nature then your profession is a good indicator that you have not received apostolic teaching or the teaching of Christ. At the moment of our conversion, we are given a new identity or a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Even though we have a new nature, the old nature has not been completely eradicated. We still live with the flesh, and it is stained with sin. So we experience this tension between the old nature versus the new nature, the flesh versus the spirit. There is a battle or a tension that we face each and every day. Paul says in Galatians, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul says in a, in a similar vein in Romans chapter 7, What a wretched man that I am, for I do the things that I do not want to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of our Christian walk is that there is a tug-of-war battle going on between the flesh, which has not been fully glorified, and the Spirit of God that dwells inside the true believer. There is that tension, that reality we all face. But because of our new nature, our new identity, we have the capacity to resist the sinful flesh by and through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. So what do we do? We rely on the Spirit of God to empower us to put to death sinful attitudes and sinful behavior. God says in Colossians chapter 3, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These things are associated with living in the darkness. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. How can the new self be renewed after the image of God? We walk in the light as he is in the light. How can we practice or strive to walk in the light? By recognizing our own sin struggles and then confessing our sins to God. Instead of claiming that we are without sin, we ought to confess our sins. For he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all struggle with sin to a certain degree. In our thoughts, in our motives, in our actions. I sin against my wife, I sin against my children, I covet, I envy, I may slander, I may gossip. So what do we do? We humble ourselves and we confess our sins to God. David says in Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In Psalm 51, David, after his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, he cries out to the Lord, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He goes on in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What a beautiful psalm of confession. David goes on to say, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contrite heart, a penitent heart, a sorrowful heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So who does the cleansing in Psalm 51 and in our text this morning? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As believers, we need to recognize our own 
personal sin struggles and we need to seek to confess our sins to God. If we do not confess our sins to God and to others, then our fellowship with other believers and our fellowship with God, it is hindered. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think Peter's saying that if husbands do not live with their wives in an understanding way, then their fellowship with God the Father is hindered. We need to be reminded that all our past, present, future sins have been forgiven. This is sometimes called positional forgiveness. When we sin against one another or sin against God, the relationship is hindered until the relationship is restored or renewed. This is called relational forgiveness. We know this to be true in our relationships with our spouses and with our children. If a husband sins against his wife, the relationship is hindered until the husband seeks to amend or restore the relationship by confessing his sin and asking for forgiveness for that specific sin. If a teenager sins against his or her parents, then the relationship is hindered until the believing teenager seeks to restore the relationship through confession, humility, and asking for forgiveness. And if you have teenage children, you can relate to this. Or maybe you've had teenage children. If my teenage daughter sins against me or my wife and then 30 minutes later asks for the keys to the car, do you think we're going to grant her request? No. We need to address the sinful response 30 minutes prior to her request. The relationship is hindered. It needs attention. It needs to be restored. Because of God's saving work in our lives, we maintain a humble posture before him and seek to confess our sins to him. For any horizontal sin committed against others is also a vertical sin against God. And once we do confess, brothers and sisters, we can be confident and sure that Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as he works in us to mold us and to shape us into the image of Christ. As professing believers, we need to recognize our sin struggles and we need to seek to confess our sins to God. Repentance and confession are not one-time activities at the moment of our conversion. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If a person claims to have, uh, truth number four, if a person claims to not have engaged in the practice of sin, then the truth of God does not reside in him or her. In other words, if a person claims to not have sinned in their motives, thoughts, or external conduct, then that person makes God a liar and his word or his truth is not in them. To, to deny that you have not willfully sinned is to deny the revelation of divine truth. To deny that you have committed an external behavior that is sinful is to deny the universal biblical truth that all have sinned. 
for we are sinners by choice and by nature. And John is likely addressing false teachers who are proclaiming or teaching that they are without sin. 1 Kings 8, verse 46, there is no one who does not sin. Psalm 14, all have turned aside. There is no one who, do, who does good, not even one. Let us be reminded of sin. What is sin? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that sin is any thought, word, or deed that breaks God's law by omission or commission. What is the sin of omission? Not doing what God requires. What is the sin of commission? Doing something that God forbids. And what does every sin deserve? The wrath and curse of God. Perhaps you are here this morning, if you've never turned from your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ for salvation, then the wrath of God remains on your head. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's John chapter 3, verse 36. If you have never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, then you are living in the darkness. And since you are walking in the dark, you have no fellowship, no association with God the Father. The Bible says you are a child of wrath, living or walking in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, since you are acting and doing according to your sinful nature. Non-believer. You must recognize your sin against the holy, just, and righteous God and turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he suffered and endured the punishment you deserve. And because of his life, death, and resurrection, you can have eternal life. You can be saved from the wrath and curse of God. This is the testimony God, God says in John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you are a non-believer here this morning, perhaps you have further questions or concerns about the universal call to repent and believe in the gospel. I'd be happy to chat with you at the, at the conclusion of our service today. Or perhaps you can have a conversation with the other pastor elders here at CCC. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we must seek to walk in purity and righteousness just as God is holy, pure, and righteous. For he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John emphasizes throughout this first letter that the children of light love God and love others. Since God loves us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, we ought to love one another. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. Let us also be reminded that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We know that as believers, we're commanded to be salt and light of the world. 
So how are you doing in practicing good works within your homes and within your neighborhoods, within your workplace, within your local church? We are commanded to bear fruit. For the visible fruit that is produced in our lives is the evidence of the inward transformation that God accomplished at the moment of our conversion. We must seek to practice good works from a redeemed heart and from a new identity in Christ for the good of others and for the glory of God. For Christ laid down his life to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God says that in Titus chapter 2. God also says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers since he has laid down his life for us. Are you, dear church, bearing visible fruit in accordance with your profession of faith? If you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then your external conduct needs to characterize the person and work of Jesus Christ. How is your confession? Are you quick to recognize when you have sinned against a friend or family member or another brother and sister in Christ? Do you go to the person whom you sinned against and ask verbally for he or she to forgive you so that the relationship can be restored? Are you quick to confess to God the idols of your heart, idols of comfort, idols of control, idols of pleasure? In your confession of sin, how are you doing in the practice of turning from your sin. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Repentance or turning from sin is not a one-time deal at the moment of our conversion. Genuine believers ought to be in the daily practice of turning from sin. Paul, Paul talks about this putting off of sin in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And putting off sin, it, it's hard work, but it's a necessary work. It's a work in which we recognize our humble dependence upon the Spirit to aid us in our turning from sin and making no provision for the flesh. But we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that with a dependent responsibility upon the Spirit of God. And if we desire to change, we must seek to confess and forsake our sins. And not only are we seeking to put off sinful thoughts, attitudes, and deeds, but we are to activate and exercise our faith, our trust, our confidence in the character and nature of God. We do this by reminding ourselves of gospel truths each and every day. We saturate our hearts, our minds in the written word of God. We ponder, we meditate in our hearts gospel truths. We reflect on the glorious work that God has accomplished for us and the life of 
the death, the resurrection of Christ. And if we claim to have fellowship with God, then we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we do sin, brothers and sisters, we can be assured that Jesus Christ, our advocate, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for our time of gathered worship. Lord, I pray that out of the love that you have shown us, Lord God, through the sending of your son, Jesus, that we would seek to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would seek to to love others as we love ourselves, Lord. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need the Spirit of God in our lives, empowering us, strengthening us. And Lord, we need brothers and sisters in our lives, dear saints in the Lord, encouraging us, exhorting us, praying for us, encouraging us, Lord, to put to death, Lord, these sinful deeds of the body. Lord, thank you for the glorious truth that we've read and heard this morning from 1 John. Lord, help us to be saints who practice humble confession. For Lord, if we are honest with ourselves, we sin every day. We fail to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We fail to love others as we love ourselves. So help us, Lord God as we seek to be the salt and the light of the world, as we seek to live in the light as Jesus is the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.